there's a lot of different people who are um, in Christian circles and, and outside of Christian circles that make a lot of um, assessment and accusation against things like social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and everything else. And one of the things that they note whenever I've seen a number of presentations is the results of these things where the average person is getting on their Facebook, you know, 20, 30 times a day. Uh, the average person looks at their phone 100 times a day. Um, so you can determine whether or not you're above average. And in that, in particular with teens, but also all, all ages, is this... Um, observation of this comparison and living with depression. And the reason is because whenever a person pays, you know, posts on Facebook, there's one of two things that they post virtually. I mean, with rare exception, it's either a generally uneducated rant. That's my opinion. Um, and that's uneducated. <laughs> or it's um, their vacation or their greatest accomplishment. Last weekend was duck season opening and, and a couple of my friends and family members wanted to make sure that they, that I knew that they were great hunters. And so, you know, they backed their truck up and put their ducks out and sent me a picture knowing that I couldn't go out. The buzzards had to go and tell me about all of the ducks they took. God bless you. I had a moment of jealousy. Why? Because what we do on Facebook or Instagram is we place our best day against your everyday. And most of us in our everyday living don't, you know, go to some exotic place or accomplish some great thing. And so every day when you get on here 20 times a day, you're taking your everyday and comparing it to somebody's best day. Because no one, there's not a single person that I've ever seen. Hey, I lost my job today. I mouthed off to the boss. I was an idiot. I have yet to see that one. You don't need to be the first. <laughs> um, and no one says, ah, yep, my wife and I have been arguing for three days. It finally took me on the third day to come to my senses that she was right. Three days on the couch, I'm done. We don't post that. We post our exotic vacation, our new restaurant that we went to, and, and it's okay. I'm, I don't blame you at all. But what happens is, is it incites, as they suggest, this jealousy in us. And so we're always comparing ourselves to somebody's best day. Now, what we want to do is we want to hate Facebook and we want to hate Instagram and we want to curse TikTok. Friends, can we grow up? It's not Facebook. It's you. You're the one who gets on there 20 times a day. Throw your phone away. Why do I say that? Because the issue is not Facebook. It's not TikTok. It's not any of those. Why? Because jealousy has been around a long time before they ever showed up. And the issue is what causes me to want to compare my life? What causes me to be envious of another person's great ministry? What causes me to be envious of another person's nice boat? What causes me to do that? What stirs inside of me? That really should be our question. Not how do we get rid of Facebook, TikTok, and et cetera. There's two individuals here who are um, having a discussion. Actually, it's a group with another individual. 
And what they're doing is they're having a debate. And the debate, as, as it unfolds, is over baptism. It's really not over baptism. But they come to this individual and it says an argument developed, verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Here's what the real argument was. John, whose baptism is superior, Jesus or yours? And some of the disciples of John were a little Jealous and fearful because John's star had risen and he was a superstar and he was and it wasn't all of his life. He lived most of his life looked upon with a great deal of suspicion for the way he lived, what he ate and and what he believed. And all of a sudden now there's all kinds of people coming out to him and their floods. But ah, the rumor was that this Jesus guy showed up and his crowds were growing. And the scripture says that everyone is going over to Jesus. Well, that's not true. Not everyone was going over there. But yes, it's true that Jesus's crowds were getting bigger and John's crowds were getting smaller. And as is often the case, those who took up the issue were, if you will, jealous for John, defensive of him, and maybe even a little of themselves. And so they had this debate, whose baptism is superior? The issue of jealousy has long preceded Facebook. But the solution doesn't come from Facebook, it comes from the scriptures. And John comes back to them and he tells his dear friends, guys, if you want to address this poison inside of you called jealousy, you need to change some things. Number one, you need the right perspective. You guys are off. And these are John's friends. They're not enemies. They're his buddies. And he said, you need to change your perspective, not only about yourself and others, but secondly, it's about God. You need to change how you see yourself. They came to John and they said, Rabbi, the man was with you on the other side of the Jordan, that one Jesus. You testified about, well, he's baptizing and it seems like everyone is going to him. And John replies to them, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You need to change your perspective. The only thing I have is what God has given to me. And that's true in your life. Those things that are most profound and most defining of your life, they were given to you by God, not you. Where you were born, that was God's decision. Your general IQ, your personality, your gifting, your calling, all of that is a decision that God makes, not you. You didn't determine the gifts you were going to receive, neither did John. And he says, my perspective is this, that I am not the Christ. That's not my assignment. That's not my gifting. That's not my role. And the reason why you're having jealousy is because you don't understand. He's no threat to us. Not if you understand that all that we have has been given to us by God. Therefore, we don't have to boast about it. And we also don't have to be defensive about it when somebody else rises. 
The Apostle Paul said it this way when he was writing to a church that had sin up to their nostrils and they were proud and arrogant and, and all kinds of things. And he says to them in response to this, 1 Corinthians 4, he says, what are you so puffed up about? He's writing to the whole church. What are you puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? Now, some of you would argue, wait a minute, I, I've done a lot. I mean, look at my portfolio. Look at all that I've done. But Paul kind of brings it back to brass tacks. What do you have that God hasn't given to you? What do you currently sit on right now that has not got the fingerprints of God all over it? And if you, and if all you have is from God, why are you acting as though you're so great as though you have accomplished something on your own. See, jealousy is the idea that I have something that I've earned, that I've won, or that I have received, and I must protect it. And if it's threatened by you, if it be my notoriety, if it be my account, if it be anything about it, whatever threatens that, I can be jealous of that, I can be envious of that, I can even be fearful of it. Unless, as John says, all that I have... I've received from God. And if you believe that about yourself, can you believe that about the person sitting next to you? Especially if their star rises higher than yours. All that they have is what God has given to them. And if God determines to have them sit at a different place than me, a, a, a greater place, if, if I am to lead a hundred, and God wants that person to lead 10,000. Can I say, all I have is what God has given me, and all they have is what God has given to them? Because if I can say that, jealousy is going to have a hard time seeping into me. Because at that point, if I can celebrate what God has given to me, I can also celebrate, if I believe it, what God has given to you, and I can say, oh, I, I rejoice with you. See, John looks back at his friends and he goes, guys, you, you have the wrong perspective. The only perspective is what God has given to us from heaven. That's what we can receive. And God hasn't made me the Christ. God hasn't given me the assignment. You have to have the right perspective of not only ourselves and others, but of God. John, I believe, had an extremely high view of God. It allowed him to believe that, that even if somebody was outstripping him, even if somebody was excelling beyond him, that's okay. Why? Because God is the one making the decision. He comes back to them and he simply says, a man can receive only what God has given him. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not it. God has made a decision, and I'm not the center of this story. Christ is. And what John was committed to was the glory of Christ and the glory of God's name. And he would never allow anyone to step into that or to replace him or to set Christ aside and to elevate John even if they had a fear or a jealousy of the other person. Moses, when he was leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he had a good friend. His name was Joshua. He was, he was virtually, I think, the one person that Joshua trusted maybe the most as they went on. 
And there was a period of time where there were some folks prophesying, and they were prophesying maybe in a little different way than what had in terms of the, the, the tent of meeting, Eldad and Medad. And Joshua came to Moses one day and he said to Moses, Moses, these folks, they're, they're not prophesying in the way that we have been instructed in the way that you have done. And I think you need to shut them up. And I'm sure that Moses asked Joshua, well, what are they saying? Is what they're saying true and honoring to God and in alignment with what God has given? Well, yeah, that's true. It is. But the fact is, is they're not doing it correctly and they're not doing it the way you've instructed us. And I think you need to go over and take care of them because Moses, if you don't, they might rise to a greater power than you. Moses comes back to Joshua And he makes this statement to him. He says, Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? I actually wish that all of the Lord's people would prophesy. I care really not much with their methodology as long as what they speak is from God and for the benefit of the people. I wish everyone was prophesying. Don't get too shook, Joshua, about people who do things differently than us. Care deeply is if their words are in alignment with truth. Paul had the same situation. And he had people coming to him. Hey, Paul, there's some folks out there preaching. Yeah, I heard about it. Um, And to be quite honest with you, they're charging and making a lot of money. And, and frankly, I think you need to go do something about it. These guys have an ill-gotten motive and, and they're not doing it well and you need to shut them down. And Paul probably asked him, said, well, are they preaching the gospel? Yes. Is what they're saying honoring to Christ? Yes. Well, then I really don't care. I fundamentally don't care if they're charging. If God's all that shook about it, he'll, he'll strip their throats. He'll take care of it. What I care about is protecting the truth. That's what he told Titus. Titus, I put you in a position that I want you to guard the truth. I want you to make sure that people are aligning to the truth. How they do it, if they preach it on a Friday or a Saturday, if they wear shorts when they do it, I really don't care. Much like Moses, much like John, what I care about is the name of Christ. What I care about is the truth. What I'm not going to get shook about is if somebody has a different methodology than me. You have to have the right perspective. And sometimes a person's methodology is going to be different than yours. And to be quite honest with you, at times their methodology may be more attractive than yours. It may raise up more people. You may start a community group and you're triple the size of anybody else. And if God gives that to you, then celebrate. And if God gives something to somebody else and God uses them and they have a greater impact than you, if you believe that we can only receive what heaven has given to us, then you have the capacity to celebrate when God moves in another person. Not be jealous of them, but celebrate. The gospel is advancing. Secondly, he says to his friends, you got to make sure you have the correct assignment. A lot of people get jealous because they're defending something that God has never given to them. He said it clearly, guys, I'm not the Christ. I was sent ahead of him. 
And then he goes into this interesting analogy, this metaphor. And he makes this statement, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. So we're talking about marriage now? Yeah. John, you haven't been married. You've never been a best man. I know. But you all know what a best man does. And he says in this text, the friend, the best man, who attends the bridegroom, waits and listens for the groom and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. John is letting them know, guys, you have to understand your assignment. And what he's telling them is, is our assignment with Christ is much like a best man to a groom. What does the best man do? Well, number one, he's the liaison between the bride and the bridegroom. He's actually negotiating that. He's taking care of all the details. It's not the father's. It's the friend of the groom. He also arranges the weddings. He sets it up. He takes care of all the details. He sends out the invitations. That's his responsibilities, not mom and dad's. So folks, you who are getting married, quit making your parents pay for all of this. Find a good friend that's rich. That individual takes out and sends out the invitations and he actually presides at the wedding feast. But John identifies in this text his most important assignment. What is it? He brings the bride and the bridegroom together and he guards the bridal chamber. That's what he says in this text. Go back and look at it with me. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. What do you mean he attends the bridegroom? He serves him in what way? He protects the bride. And he sits outside of her door and he listens for the groom and he tells and and he is there protecting her, waiting to hear his friend's voice. And when he comes and he knows she's safe, he can bring the two together. I don't do it anymore. I'm not the age where my friends are getting married. But years ago, I was in a number of weddings as a best man. And I can tell you it's through noble means, no noble means of my own at all. But not once when I was the best man did I ever think about leaning over to the groom and saying, why don't you go fishing? I'll marry her. I never once thought that way. It didn't even come to my mind. It would have been absurd. But friends, how many of us have because of our ego and our pride pushed Jesus off the stage and said, I'll take the church. I'll be central to this story. I will be essential to this person's life. They need to come to me for counsel, not Christ. They need my insight, not the scriptures. How many of us, like John's friends, have wanted to say, John, push yourself forward. You be the man. No, no, no. You, you got to understand. It's not my assignment. It's not my assignment to take the place of Christ. It's not my assignment in my children's life to take the place of Christ. 
It's not my assignment to make them have a loyalty to me that is greater than their loyalty to Christ. That's not our assignment. You should never make yourself more important to your children than Christ. And if you do, what you have done is you've gone up to the stage and you shove Jesus aside and say, Jesus, tell you what, take a break. I got this. That's my son. My friend Pete, his dad and him, they had a beautiful relationship. And I'll never forget a conversation that Ed had with Pete when Pete was getting ready to leave the home. He was grown, skilled, character. And Pete said to his son, son, all of your life you have sought to honor me. All of your life I have felt your love and your respect. When you leave the home, I want you to know you need to orient that towards Christ, not towards me. I will forever cherish your love for me, but your highest loyalty, Ed said to his son, is not to me, it's to Christ. Parents, you would do well, really well, to get yourself off the stage, to let Christ be the most central and important figure and person in your children's life. Ministry leaders, pastors, we would do well to make sure that we're not subtly in ways making sure that our name is put forward. Church, we would do well that when people think of us, they think not of a church. It's like, you know, if they don't, can't remember Salem First Baptist Church, that's great, that's fine. As long as through our relationship, they remember Christ. Because John was dead set with his friends. Guys, you have to understand, it's not our assignment to be the groom for the bride. That's Christ and don't ever take his place. If somebody forgets who pastors this church, that's quite fine. If they fumble at the guy's last name and say, I think it's something like snot rag or something to do with, you know, your runny nose. That's good. We really don't care. What they must remember, what this city must know is about our savior, not about us. You have to have the correct assignment. And when you do, it will lead you to a helpful commitment. John comes back to them. And he says at the very end of this one section, he says, the joy is mine and is now complete. Verse 30, he, speaking of Christ, must become greater and I must become less. It's a great bumper sticker. It's creative. I just hope it's more than a bumper sticker. I hope it's you're in my value. And I hope it's tattooed on our hearts. That Christ must become greater. Christ must be lifted up. As William Carey said, that when I die, please don't talk about me. Talk about the one who saved me. Talk about my savior. 
Talk about the one who left heaven and died on a cross so that we might spend an eternity with him. Talk about one who is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. Talk about the one who took the sins of the world on him. Talk about the one who conquered death and walked out of the grave. Talk about the one who left heaven and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a man and the form of a servant, even a servant that went to the cross. Talk about him. And if you do, Jealousy will have no entry point into your heart. It won't. Because whether another person comes along and our star declines and some other church rises or some other ministry rises, if they claim Christ and if they proclaim Christ, then we as a church, no matter what God does with our future, ought to celebrate. Because what this city needs more than our church is Christ. He must become greater. I must become less. F.B. Meyer was a, was a marvelous preacher. The only difficulty for F.B. Meyer is he preached in, in the season and the time and just down the road from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon, who was at Metropolitan Tabernacle, long before electronics, long before all of the stuff of megachurches today would see thousands of people ride up on carriages and, and F.B. Meyer uh, pastored just down the road and his hundred paled compared to the 10,000 that would show at Metropolitan. And one person once asked him, F.B., who, by the way, was an eloquent preacher, what is it like to preach in the shadows of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. When F.B. was older, he was invited to speak at a conference held by D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody invited uh, kind of some, some very eloquent preachers. And F.B. Meyer was invited, as was G. Campbell Morgan. And at the time, G. Campbell Morgan was a complete rising star. He was a superstar. And somebody asked F.B. Meyer at the end of his life, what is it like to follow on the stage the great G. Campbell Morgan? Kent Hughes was pastoring in Southern California. And when he looked out his window, he looked upon the parking lot of Ephraim Fullerton, Chuck Swindoll's church. He went home one day, told his wife, Barbara, Barb, I'm, I think I'm done. She goes, you're done? What do you mean you're done? Yeah, I'm out. I, I'm going to resign. Why would you resign? He said, because I don't know that God needs me. I looked over at Chuck's church and Chuck's doing great. And he goes, do you realize that our entire congregation is not as big as his staff? And so many times in this world, we're filled with jealousy and envy and maybe even the wound that people sometimes try to place. Hey, FB, what's it like to preach next to a superstar? What's it like to follow a legend? And FB responded, well, if it was about me, I'd feel horrible. But given the fact that G. Campbell Morgan makes it about Jesus, 
I celebrate. Kent went to his wife and said, I'm done. And she said, no. Today I have faith for you and for me. I have enough faith for you and for me. You may doubt your calling, but I don't. And today I want you to trust me. I'm so thankful for F.B. Meyer, for Barbara Hughes, because her husband didn't quit. He became a pastor at College Church in Wheaton and probably one of the greatest influences in our country through his writing. But jealousy was at his doorstep. Envy was at his doorstep. And they both pleaded with him, just quit. The kingdom of God doesn't need you. And John looks back at them and Kent looked at them and F.B. Meyer looks at them and said, if I make it about me, then I am done. But if we as a church make it about Christ, then whatever God does with our church, if it grows or if it diminishes, if we can say that we have fulfilled our assignment, then friends, we can celebrate whatever God does in another church, whatever God does in another ministry. Why? Because when you commit yourself to elevating the greatness of Christ, jealousy finds no entry point into your soul. It doesn't. Tony Richardson, that name probably doesn't ring a bell to you unless you're an NFL geek. I have a son who knows all things NFL. It's pathetic. He probably knows Tony's blood type. Tony was a running back in the NFL, 2010. And what he was known for is not his ability to run with the ball, though he started many games. What he was noted for is he had this undying passion to make others better. And he went one day to, uh, to Priest Holmes and he told him, Priest, I want you to know it is my desire to make you the starter on this team. Today I start this game. But my passion is that one day you will start and you will follow me. I will be a fullback And you will follow me up and I will make a hole that will make you a superstar. That's my goal. And that actually happened. And somebody asked, as Tony's star was declining and Holmes' star was was just shooting through the moon, they asked him, said, are you in any way jealous of the switch that you've made with Priest Holmes? And Tony responded by saying this, I can't explain it, but it just means more to me to help someone else achieve glory. There's something about it that feels right to me. That, my friends, is the key to jealousy and envy. Is when you can say with your heart like John, 
you have to understand the only thing that we can deal with is what God has given to us. And the only assignment that we can fulfill is the one God has given to us. And when we are committed to making him great and we're at peace with people, finding glory in Christ and forgetting our name, jealousy will never find an entry point into your heart. You can get on Facebook 50 times a day. But if you celebrate the goodness of Christ and others, then friends, it will just feel right to us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the beauty of Jesus, for the humility of John, I would just ask, God, would you lead us to that place where we can look around our own church and and just be rid of any jealousy and we can celebrate that whatever we have been given, it comes from heaven. And whatever assignment we have been entrusted, it's an assignment from God. And whatever place our church has in this city, it is one to be determined by you. Help us to make people remember Christ. To the glory of Christ and to the benefit of people. We pray in Christ's name, amen.